I invite you to open your pew Bible to Psalm 2 for the unison reading of Psalm 2, or if your personal Bible is the English Standard Version, please open to Psalm 2 for the unison reading. As we uh, continue with our summer psalms series, a summer series through selected psalms. Um, Let's pray together to ask God's blessing on his word. Our gracious Father, our God, we give you thanks that in your love for us, you speak to us your promises. And your word, O Lord, stills the storms. We pray, O Lord, that your word this day would come to us in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we pray that you would grant us the grace to believe what you say, that we might trust your word for the stilling of the storms that blow around us. We ask this for your name's sake, for the glory of Jesus Christ, our King. Amen. Amen. Psalm 2, the Word of God, it is written, let us read in unison. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And now unto him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, the political life of our nation just seems to be getting more and more interesting. Indeed, the political life of the world does too. And to be sure, as the proverb goes, we live in interesting times. I was visiting with someone yesterday who just happened to say that. We live in an interesting times. Indeed, we are. And, you know, one recent example, I mean, for us as Christians, you may have heard that two uh, quite prominent and opposing political figures, both, were quoting the Bible and seeking to apply it to immigration policy in order to support their own position. And, and, uh, and then, you know, the different media outlets uh, spun it according to make the Bible quotations look good or look bad, uh, according to which side of the immigration debate 
or, or which party they support. Um, and then, you know, the stand-up comedians have to get involved, and then on and on, and you get, and then you get, um, uh, which most exasperating, you know, unbelievers sucking up the air, uh, commenting on what the Bible means and all that kind of stuff. It all ends up as one big convoluted mess with the word of God being abused as fodder in a partisan political debacle. And it may make us as Christians just kind of sometimes wonder, what, what do you make of all this? And I use that only as an illustration. I hope you can relate to it. I'm not going to comment on it any more than that, one way or the other, except to say this morning that in the midst of all the political division, turmoil, confusion, and chaos of our day, you kind of feel like you're in that boat, don't you? Yeah. We as Christians, now listen, we really need to keep a clear head and a calm spirit and a very realistic biblical perspective. The political craziness which is now the norm in our nation may be new to us in our lifetime as Americans. But it is not new to the world. And it is not new to Christians around the world. The fact of the matter is that Christians throughout history, throughout the world, have lived and most have lived in the midst of political chaos, tumult, revolution, and war. That has been the norm. And the other fact is that Christians have not always fared well in the temporary moment in the midst of those political upheavals. So let's keep a clear head. Let's keep a calm spirit. Let's keep a realistic, biblical perspective. Because for Christians, there's something much more important than the ups, uncertainties and the ups and downs of our national politics. We need to remember and we need to believe what the Bible says about all human governments in relation to the kingdom of God. The most basic Christian confession of faith, Jesus Christ is Lord, is ultimately a political statement. It means that Jesus Christ is the supreme ruler and the one to whom we owe our first and our highest allegiance. Revelation 1.5 says, Jesus Christ is the ruler of kings on earth. He is the ruler of kings on earth. Not that he is trying to be, and not that he someday will be, but that he is the ruler of kings on earth. And Ephesians 1.20 says, God the Father raised him, Christ, 
from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. Ephesians 1.20. You hear an echo of that, of course, in Philippians chapter 2 and in the book of the Revelation. But think about that statement from Ephesians chapter 1. It was written in the first century. And it was circulated within the realm of the Roman Empire. And it says that, in that context, it says Jesus Christ is seated far above all rule and authority with the name that is above every name. Now, what do you think... Nero Caesar would have thought about such a statement. What if someone had slipped him a copy of Paul's letter to the Ephesians? What do you think Caesar would have said about that statement? He probably would have laughed at it. (laughs) Name above every name. But who's laughing now? It's important to remember that Christ is not Jesus' last name. (laughs) Christ is his title. We most often refer to him as Jesus Christ, but the scripture also refers to him as Christ Jesus. We can translate that very simply, King Jesus. And that gets us to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is about King Jesus and his everlasting kingdom. Psalm 2 is about King Jesus as the ruler of kings on earth. Psalm 2 is about King Jesus seated on the throne at the right hand of God the Father Almighty with the name above every name. Psalm 2 is about King Jesus ruling over all nations, ruling throughout world history, and then finally bringing his kingdom to its full consummation in his glory. That's the perspective we must keep as Christians. Psalm 2 is one of those psalms known as the royal psalms. Royal psalms are those having to do with the kingdom or the kingship of Israel's Messiah. The word Messiah is the Hebrew word. Christ is the same Greek word. And other royal psalms are Psalm 45, Psalm 72, Psalm 110. In their historical context, um, as far back as 1000 B.C., these psalms were probably sung or spoken at the coronation ceremony of the kings of Old Testament Israel, such as King David, King Solomon, King Uzziah. The kings of Israel were called God's anointed ones. In that sense, the kings of Old Testament Israel were, as it were, uh, anointed messiahs in a lesser sense. But these royal psalms point prophetically as a prophecy to the true king, the true messiah, the true son of David who would sit on the throne forever and ever. Psalm 2 and Psalm 110 are among the most often quoted Old Testament passages in the New Testament. 
These royal psalms are very important to the New Testament and to the Christian faith because they speak prophetically. They prophesy King Jesus and his kingdom. Psalm 2 is about Jesus, so let's take a look at Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Well, Psalm 2 begins with this question. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The question refers to the fact that The powers of this fallen world are in constant revolt and rebellion against God. It is a rhetorical question because it is futile to oppose God, and yet the unbelieving world continually rages in rebellion against God and plots in vain to dethrone him. The kings of the earth set themselves against the Lord and against his anointed, against his Christ, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the kings of the earth, the powers of the world that be, do not want to live in submission to the true and living God. They do not want to acknowledge a divine king to whom, before whom they must bow and whose laws they must obey. Now this goes all the way back to Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden. That's what he did when he took that fruit and ate of it. He sought to burst the bonds that God had laid upon him. And ever since, this is the continual conflict between fallen human nature and the kingdom of God. This is the, and then it, it becomes uh, embodied in a, a corporate sense, in the, in the power structures of the world, in the, in the, the powers of uh, wor- world leaders and governments. It is, it is the fundamental tendency of all human power, all human government, This is the tendency due to the corruption of sin to rebel against God. You may know the saying, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And the fact is that human governments unchecked always tend toward tyranny. Always. This is observable throughout history. The United States Constitution, written for the most part, by those informed by a Calvinist, reformed understanding of the Scripture, Um, the United States Constitution with its limitation of powers and its system of checks and balances is based on the biblical understanding of the sinful corruption of man and therefore the sinful corruption of human governments. And the whole concept of limited government, rightly understood, is based on the biblical truth that due to sin, individuals and institutions and governments will assume and will acquire as much power for themselves as possible in order to assert themselves above others as gods to be worshipped and obeyed. Tyranny 
and idolatry always go together. Idolatry of the state will always lead to tyranny by the state. Tyranny by the state is always for the sake of idolatry of the state. You see, there is no such thing as neutrality. Those who do not want to live under God's law, who do not want society to be ordered on the principles of God's word, will seek to order it and tyrannize it under their own rule. It is their attempt to dethrone God and to place themselves upon the throne. And it happens over and over and over again throughout history. But Psalm 2 tells us that ultimately every such effort will finally fail. Listen to what Psalm 2 reveals about God's judgment on those who try to dethrone him. This is a great verse. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. All of the raging powers of the nations seeking to dethrone the eternal one from his throne in heaven. He laughs at them. Psalm 2 tells us that the Lord sits in the heavens. He sits as judge. He sits as king. Psalm 29.10 says that the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. And because God sits in the heavens enthroned forever, he looks down upon the kings of the earth, the powers of the world who oppose him, and he laughs at them. He holds them in derision. He may, for his own purposes, grant them as much leash as he will. But in the end, he laughs at them because he, they cannot dethrone him. Because they oppose him, verse 5 says, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This is God the Father's declaration that he has installed, he has seated, he has set his son, Jesus, as king over all the rulers of the earth. In the Old Testament, Zion is a reference to Jerusalem, earthly Jerusalem. It's also known as the Holy Hill. And it applied that way in Old Testament Israel. But the New Testament reveals to us that there is a heavenly Zion, a heavenly Jerusalem, Hebrews chapter 12. And it is there at the right hand of God the Father Almighty that Jesus Christ has been installed as King of heaven and earth. Remember, we say in the creed, crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. There it is, and that is the eternal political reality in which you may have great confidence. Keep a clear head, a calm spirit, and a realistic, eternal, biblical perspective. Psalm 2 even includes the words of the heavenly coronation service in which God the Father speaks to his son saying, 
You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And that, verse 7, is referring to the, the revealed kingship of Jesus Christ. His publicly announced honor and glory which came, first of all, with his resurrection from the dead and then his ascension into heaven and his coronation as king of kings, being given the name that is above every name. Romans 1.4 says that Jesus was, quote, declared to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And in one of his sermons recorded in the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 2. The Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 2 with reference to Jesus' resurrection. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And in the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 1, this same verse, you are my son, today I have begotten you, is quoted with reference to Jesus' being seated at the right hand of God the Father. So here's the point. The New Testament interprets Psalm 2 in terms of the eternal kingship of Jesus Christ risen from the dead and seated upon the throne. And so in light of Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, we can gain a better understanding of the rest of Psalm 2. Because the New Testament reveals that the promised Messiah of Psalm 2 is the one who first suffered and died for the sins of his people. His sacrifice purchased freedom from sin and liberty from the tyranny of Satan for all who trust in him. His kingdom is the kingdom of eternal peace and justice and liberty. King Jesus is the lamb who was slain. Revelation chapter 5 says that by his blood he ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And therefore God the Father has said to his son in the words of Psalm 2 verse 8, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. In other words, God the Father has said to His Son, Jesus Christ, I give the nations of the earth to you. You will rule over and conquer them. Now, how does Jesus Christ rule over and conquer the nations? First of all, by the power of His Word and Spirit through the gospel. This is how Christ conquers and rules over the nations. And this portion of Psalm 2, Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. I just wonder, does that remind you of anything? This portion of Psalm 2 is a prophecy. It's a prophecy of the Great Commission. You remember Jesus' words after his resurrection? It fits perfectly with Psalm 2. Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and earth has been 
given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. There it is. The Great Commission in Psalm 2. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, conquers and rules the nations as the gospel goes in the power of the Holy Spirit throughout the world and His church is established and built up and disciples who obey His word are brought into His kingdom in every nation. Now, how is our nation really going to be renewed and transformed And made great again. (laughs) Spared the darkness of political tyranny. Only one way. Through the spread of the gospel and the making of disciples for the coming generations. And that's the reason that the United States of America has the foundation that it has and has survived. For as long as it has. Because of the principles of God's truth embedded in the foundation. I don't need to tell you that the, those foundations are, are being destroyed. There's every attempt to destroy them. And, you know... Why do the nations rage, the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. Well, our nation has done that. Our our government has done that. Deny the creator. Deny the sanctity of life. Decide who gets to live or not. Redefine the Creator's definition of marriage. Let us burst their bonds asunder and cast away their cords. How will other nations experience greater degrees of liberty and justice and peace and prosperity? Primarily through the spread of the gospel and the transformation of those nations according to the principles of the word of God. That's the reason that we are endeavoring in global missions as well as local missions. Only as more and more people are set free from the slavery of sin and the tyranny of the devil, only as more and more people find their peace with God through faith in King Jesus... Will there be true liberty and justice spread throughout the earth? Without spiritual liberty, there can never be political liberty. The greatest liberty ever won was won on the cross of Jesus Christ who has, quote, set us free from our sins by his blood, Revelation 1.5. But what if the nations of the earth continually repel against and oppose the kingdom Jesus Christ and reject his word, his way, his will. Psalm 2 speaks of that day when King Jesus will, quote, break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. On this point, John Calvin commented, wicked men may now conduct themselves as wickedly as they please, 
but they shall at length feel what it is to make war against heaven. However they may reject Christ's sovereignty, they cannot, by their rebellion, destroy his authority and power. Ultimately, this speaks to us of the last judgment. When Christ will come again to judge the world in righteousness, when all of his enemies will be destroyed forever. But it is also true that the judgments of God also falls upon nations within history. Throughout history, God brings his judgments upon the nations of the earth. The Lord raises up and casts down. Daniel 4.17 says that, quote, The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And so history has seen God's judgment upon human governments over and over and over again as nations rise and fall and tyrants are deposed. Throughout the world, King Jesus continues to increase his kingdom by the power of his word and spirit and those who resist him will ultimately fail. It is important for us in these days to keep a clear mind a calm spirit, and a realistic biblical perspective. Dear friends, the church of Jesus Christ began when Jesus sent 11 and then 12 into the Roman Empire. (laughs) And here we are today. And Christianity is the one true international, worldwide religion on the face of the globe. I mean, that's a fact. If the church of Jesus Christ were going to be destroyed by the powers of the world, it would have been destroyed a long, long time ago. If God's kingdom were going to fail and fall and be thrown upon the ash heap of history, it would have happened a long, long time ago. Keep a clear head. Keep a calm spirit. Keep a realistic biblical perspective. You've got brothers and sisters in underground churches in China. in Iraq, in Iran, in Saudi Arabia, right now. His kingdom cannot fail. And he who sits in the heavens laughs. At this nonsense that we are witnessing today. And so Psalm 2 concludes with a warning to the kings and rulers of the earth. And by the way, we all were created to be kings and queens upon the earth. So ultimately it's directed to each one of us individually. A gracious warning, but a warning nonetheless, a call to wisdom. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be wise. Don't be don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Reverential awe before the King, the Almighty. 
kiss the Son, S-O-N. Kiss the Son. Pay your homage to Him. Adore Him. Fall before Him. Lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. The kings and rulers of the earth and we as individuals are called to submit ourselves to the kingship of Jesus Christ. We're called to honor him and to pledge our allegiance to him. The kings of the earth and the rulers of the world are commanded to exercise their authority under the authority of Christ and in accordance with his word and they are warned that if they don't, If they continue to rebel against his kingdom, they will incur his wrath. And that goes for this nation as well as any nation on the face of the earth. It may seem a very strange idea today. It certainly would to the secular voices of our day that nations and governments and political leaders are in fact accountable to God and will be judged accordingly. It is a biblical truth. Whether they know it or not, whether they believe it or not, whether they like it or not, it doesn't matter. The kings and rulers of the earth are under the sovereign rule of Jesus Christ and are accountable to him. But he promises his blessing to all those, to all those of every nation who place their trust in him and take refuge in him. The last word of Psalm 2 is the word of the gospel. The word of the gospel of Jesus Christ, blessing for all from every nation, blessing for all who take refuge in King Jesus, blessing for all from every nation who by faith come under the banner of his kingdom. And therefore we who profess faith in King Jesus must be faithful to him today in the living of our lives no matter what political situation occurs. Our hope, our security, our peace, our prosperity, our liberty will not be secured by any one political party or candidate. The temporary ups or downs of our earthly political life must never blur our vision of King Jesus on the throne. He is ruling over the world. He is ruling over history. He is ruling over our lives. And we are called to live our lives here and now as citizens of his everlasting kingdom pledging to him our first and our highest allegiance. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that you rule over heaven and earth in your infinite wisdom, power, justice, holiness, goodness, and love. We pray that you would strengthen us to live as citizens of heaven, even now on earth, to the honor of your name through Jesus Christ, our only King. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Chapter 2, and again it highlights the ascension of Jesus Christ. He's sitting at God's right hand with the name above every name. Therefore, Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, 
who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. 